Hello, hello, MCs. Welcome back to another episode of Food, Those Effing C-Words. I'm Marcia Cork. So glad to be back in the company of my MCs, as always. I hope you guys have been having a great week. It's so funny how, for some of you, school has already started, so you are actually looking forward to the weekend. (laughs) You're back to that grind. I am actually wrapping up the last few weeks of summer, and it always makes me sad this time of year when we shift gears and we start looking ahead to the fall, especially since I was was telling you guys I haven't done much this summer. No, I did. I enjoyed the summer, but I didn't do nearly as many, you know, activities and summer-like things that I normally would. But I got this podcast going. I'm excited about that. That was really the highlight of my summer. So I am blessed and grateful for the way that this podcast has taken off. Thank you all. Thank you, my MCs, for making this such a great summer for me because this is what made my summer. But anyway... So I had a really juicy relationship episode um, in mind for you guys today. I don't know if you remember me saying I was telling you that, um, you know, we've been talking about my it's me approach. We've been having a lot of conversations about the career pivot and using the it's, it's me approach to market yourself, to sell yourself, to develop your elevator pitch, your brand story um, and some conversations around the pitch deck. but. I wanted to really shift gears and start talking about more conflict resolution and some of the change that comes with um, ending relationships and with navigating what life is like after a separation or a divorce. These are just some of the topics that I've been thinking about. So that's what I had planned today. It was going to be an episode about change, navigating change after a separation or divorce. But then I did this workshop with the Maryland Department of Labor. And that workshop was on entrepreneurship. And that really made me want to circle back to just kind of pause, (laughs) put a hold on that episode and have one more conversation with you all about entrepreneurship. Because from that conversation, I really found that a lot of us do stall still. And I say that with some surprise because I know I see constantly on my feeds so many examples of entrepreneurship, of entrepreneurs and influences just thriving in this environment and just seeing them, you know, just do so well, living these very luxurious lifestyles. And, you know, you, you know what we see on social media. So I'd like to think that people have been inspired by the potential, you know, but then it just makes me think maybe what we see on social media really does feel unattainable. Maybe it's not as relatable as I'm thinking that is. Maybe it's not as inspirational because it feels a little too out of reach for some of us. Does that make sense? Is that what you're finding? So I I, I have this area that I call the Hobby Lobby. Um, I did a post recently about how a lot of us treat our businesses like a hobby still instead of like a business. So when we have extra time, you know, we continue to live our lives. We're, we're running errands. We're not reinvesting our time back into the business, the way that we reinvest our money. We're not using our downtime to grow the business. So that's what I say. We're treating our business like a hobby. Like you're just kind of lingering in the hobby lobby. 
dabbling in entrepreneurship, but not really turning it into a full-fledged operation. So that's what I decided to talk about today, because I have this um, checklist. I call it an ebook, but it's really a checklist of how to simplify that process of getting a business idea out of your head, you know, that ideation process and turning it into an operation, getting it out of your head onto paper, you know, creating a formal pitch deck or a business plan so that you can really start to see the potential. You can really start to see your audience take shape, your, um, you know, your financials, your projections take shape, getting things, just getting everything squared away. That's what that checklist is about. So I'm going to walk through that checklist with you all today and see if that helps get the wheels turning for more people in our immediate circles. So this is, this will be a good episode to, to share with the people you know who have a skill have a talent that they, you know, have a side hustle, or maybe they've been wanting to make it to do something bigger with it, to turn it into a full-fledged operation, and to just simplify the process. Like these are the bare bones, 10 things that you could do within a week's time to get this business started. All right. I call it my quick launch guide. So that's what we're going to talk about today, right after this break. It's Marcia Cork. You know, I talk about having the confidence to rebrand and get visible on social media. Well, it's time for me to practice what I preach. Do me a favor before you start the show, open Instagram and TikTok and follow me right now at It's Marcia Cork. You'll get additional tips you won't hear on the podcast, including a semi-weekly series I call You're Doing It Wrong. So follow me right now and meet me back here and let's start the show. What kind of market research did did you do? I have this section that says to conduct an audience analysis because a lot of people don't do any market research. They already know what they want to provide. They have a product in mind. They have a service in mind. They have a tool in mind, but they don't really know their audience inside and out. Well, that's funny. That's funny you said that because I didn't either, right? Because for me, I took my product to a potluck at the census bureau right okay and they were eating my sauce with everything that was at the potluck Mm. and i said "Ooh, i think i got something okay all right mcs we're back and we're going to jump into what i call the quick launch guide to entrepreneurship Number one is my audience analysis. That's the first thing you need to do. Get to know your audience inside and out. So we kick things off with age. And when it comes to age, I want you to keep in mind, it doesn't have to be a particular number or numerical range that you serve when it comes to age. It can be a feeling. There can be activities that are typically associated with an age group. It can be trends in fashion, um, you know, trends and styles. So I just want you to be careful in this category that you not limit yourself to a specific number or numerical range. And we may not really identify with the, with the number. It's more about a lifestyle. So consider that as you think about your audience and the way that your audience 
and members of your audience are going to use your product or service. Okay. For race and ethnicity, um, for, for regional identity and national identity, I want you to consider the wide range of differences and preferences that can easily exist across all three. Okay. So, you know, things like slang, foods, the spices that we use to prepare our food, the way that we prepare our food, all of those things can vary by region and by ethnic group. So knowing these nuances in your audience might determine things like, you know, the colors you use in your logo and in your branding materials, the gestures that we use, the body language, the nonverbal communication. You have to know these things about your audience so that you're not offensive even. I know people don't think about that, but body language and gestures, nonverbal, that nonverbal communication, depending on the country, the national origin, what you do might actually be offensive. So really start to look at those. With gender identity and sexual identity, first and foremost, it's important that you know the difference. Is your product or service unique to the LGBTQ plus community? Are you a member of those communities or are you an ally? Okay, you need to be clear in that communication. Um, have you immersed yourself in the terminology, the acronyms? Are you a credible provider with your product or service or are you a trusted ally? Your product or service has to be used in a way that benefits and supports your tribe, your community. All right, so let's see where we are. Religion, the checklist talks about religious identity, ability identity, and personal identity. And I think people rarely consider this when it comes to strategic communication and marketing, even class. You know, people are saying that their audience is middle class. I hear that all the time. You know, tell me about the income brackets. Tell me, do you know how much money your audience makes? And they'll always say middle class. But you have to keep in mind, middle class, everybody considers themselves middle class. So whether a person makes $20,000 a year or $200,000 a year, they're going to say they're middle class. So you have to dig deeper. You have to know the difference in the amount of money they make and how that dictates their spending. As the saying goes, the riches are in the niches. <laughs> so this is how you can create segments in your audience based on this very thorough audience analysis. And pay particular attention to the personal identity category because that one is all encompassing, you know, just very inclusive. These are all the ways we see ourselves that don't have a category that we typically see on forms and applications. So that's the kind of material that you won't easily, easily collect from a survey because you won't be able to categorize it, right? So things like, you know, whether we identify as a dog lover or as a cat lover, the music that we're into, the specific genres, uh, are we motorcycle enthusiasts? Do we collect elephant tchotchkes? Are we beach lovers? All those types of things are very much a part of who we are. They're essentials, really, and it's hard to capture. So you have to think about your product or service, where that fits in, and how that supports your audiences. Okay? So the audience analysis is important. I'm sure that I've pointed out some things that you would not have considered about your audience. So I recommend spending a good amount of time on this, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, even more possibly. And you will find this on page two of my quick launch download. All right. The next thing we want to do, create your It's Me pitch deck. 
Now, you all are familiar with my It's Me approach. We've been talking about it for several weeks now. The acronym is your introduction, your truth, or your testimony that is unique to your experience. Something about your past that's brought you to the present, to the work that you do today and why, which takes you to your solution, how you offer a solution with your product or service, the M and the E, your mastery and expertise. And you're going to apply that same it's me approach to the pitch deck. Again, we've been talking about this for weeks. We've talked about how we use the it's me approach for the elevator pitch and we apply it to the brand story and then ultimately to the pitch deck. Well, here we are. Now we're at the pitch deck and the pitch deck you're going to be able to use much like your business plan because these days a well-developed pitch deck can take the place of that business plan. That business plan for decades has just been really intimidating, right? So now your pitch deck, something that can be done in seven to 10 slides, is going to have all of the essentials, the essentials that you would have in a business plan you can have in your, in your pitch deck, you know, for securing funding, for securing credit. For securing, um, you know, donors, sponsors, that type of support. And studies show that the people who, the entrepreneurs who actually take some time and develop a business plan or develop this type of pitch deck, they're ultimately much more successful than those who just jump right into a business and never do this work. So we've talked about the audience analysis. How many people do you know have really sat and thought about their audience in the way that we just talked about? So it's the same thing for your pitch deck. So as we talk about this pitch deck, which was number two, I want to also move into number three, which is the pricing and projections. We're going to talk about those together because when we're talking about this well-constructed pitch deck, well, that pitch deck is also going to include an area. It's also going to include an area that's dedicated to a launch strategy, to talking about your infrastructure, to having some, you know, prototype descriptions, some pictures. You're going to include consumer input a sales strategy, right? Where are you going to show up? Conferences, trunk shows. Are you going to be mostly visible online, have a strong social media presence, right? And then you're going to be able to include one to three year projections in a well-constructed pitch deck. So again, I want to make it simple. I want to make this part of the process simple, steps two and three, simple. By simply constructing a seven to 10 slide pitch deck. Presentations can be overwhelming. The amount of information that goes into these slide presentations can be overwhelming. But seven to 10 slides, you can do. So the I-T-S-M-N-E, the It's Me approach, we know that you can get your introduction, your truth, you know, that truth, that testimony, and that solution onto one slide. You can get your mastery and your experience, the M and the E. You can get those into one slide. So that's two slides down. And then we can quickly move on to the things that you would see in a business plan. Things like your customer's buying behavior. Because now that you have your audience analysis complete, you can start think about buying behavior within those populations. You can brainstorm, you know, new markets, potential new markets based on trends around members of those audiences and you can round out your pitch deck with two to four slides to make up this pricing and projections area of your pitch deck. You can include a slide that will explain your launch strategy, like I mentioned, 
you know, explain that launch strategy to new markets. You can include the pictures of the prototypes, that consumer input I mentioned, all of that can go into a slide. And if you've been in business for a while, then you can also include a slide with any measurable and quantifiable data that you've collected. Okay? But keep in mind, we are keeping this simple. So we already have about seven slides there. And depending on how much explanation, how many pictures you use, then that might extend it out to three more slides. So seven to 10 slides. But even these, that measurable data, that quantifiable data, you really only need that area of the pitch deck if you're seeking funding, right? If you're looking for business credit, like I said, or other financial contributions. But if this is just moving out of the Hobby Lobby <laughs> and into operation, and you're going to you know, primarily fund the business yourself to get things started, then those, that, that's an area that you don't even need. So you're going to have a very basic, a well-constructed, a very professional pitch deck that lays out, you know, projections, one to three year projections, but without incorporating the projections that stall us. Right. Do you see that? Do you see how what I've just shared you can easily achieve in about seven, seven to ten slides? Keep it simple. So now we can move on to number four, and that's to meet with an accountant. So this is the action item, of course, because we just talked about financials. We just talked about the pitch deck. So now to talk about meeting with an accountant, <laughs> this is an action item people tend to fear the most, right? But I'd like to point out, this is actually one of the easiest steps. And I say that because this is the area where you don't really have to do anything at all. This requires almost no action on your part. It's a call or a meeting with a professional. And all you're gonna do is ask the right questions and they're gonna tell you what you need to do. That's it. And then they're gonna tell you how to do it quickly, easily, and simply. Because accountants and CPAs do this day in and day out. So it's as simple as scheduling a call or a meeting to have this conversation. And you'll find this on page eight of the quick launch guide. These are the talking points that you're gonna have with your accountant. So the first one I have is, can I stick to sole proprietorship? This is um, how you're automatically labeled if you don't formally register as a specific business type you know, within your state. So can I stick with sole proprietorship or should I consider registering as an LLC? You know, do I, have, do I wanna protect personal assets? And you're already familiar with these terms, you just haven't, progress towards actually having a conversation and making some decisions and then filing the right paperwork. And they can help you with that. Like I said, it requires almost no action on your part, just guidance. So you're going to ask about that sole proprietorship. You're going to ask about registering as an LLC. You're going to ask about protection of assets. Um, but then you're going to ask whether registering my business name and just doing business as this name will suffice. You're going to ask if you need an employer identification number, the EIN. You're going to ask if you need any licensure of any kind. And maybe you'll ask what annual filing will look like for this business structure. So that's six talking points that I have that will guide the rest of the conversation. So let the subject matter expert make some recommendations for you. Take the weight and that burden off of yourself and trust it to the professionals to guide you. And they're going to be able to give you examples of businesses, large and small, their business types, and really hold your hand through that process. 
So instead of looking it at the looking at that stage as the hardest, look at it as the easiest because this is one area where, where you will actually have a professional holding your hand and guiding you through that process. Well, I think that's really sound advice. I think, you know, when we're venturing to start our own business, one of the most important things we should do is try to partner with people that are professionals <laughs> that can help you, you know, guide you in the right direction. Um, so obviously when you're establishing your business, you want to go to um, an accountant or even an attorney um, to figure out what your best business structure will be you know, or should be um, based on where you're starting and where you are, you know, so I think it's an amazing idea to, to, to get in touch with your um, tax preparer, your accountant, whoever that may be that kind of handles your finance. Um, and even again, if you have an attorney to kind of chat about how that structure should be set up. Okay. I like that. And the reason why I don't say attorney is because mm -hmm. this is the bare bones. So this is taking mm -hmm all the fear and the intimidation away. And I think mm -hmm. people will be afraid of what out-of-pocket expenses there are associated mm -hmm. with an attorney, mm -hmm. um, you know, all, all those, those types of things. The, the conversation when you're, when you're kind of talking to people and kind of getting the gist of where they're headed, you know, and you determine whether or not, you know, oh, they're just getting started, you know, this may be, you know, something slightly over a hobby, you know, it's just a small business that they're trying to do outside of their home. And you know that, Sole proprietorship will be, you know, sufficient. They don't really need to talk to anyone about establishing an LLC and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. But when they do start talking about LLCs, you know, quite frankly, that's legal, you know, liability, right? Yes. So that is right. a conversation that you may want to have, even if it's just at a small level with, you know, somewhat a rocket lawyer. Like I can guide you in terms of what the tax implications would be of the various business structures. But when you actually want to structure your business properly, mm -hmm. especially if it's your expectation to scale and to really grow this business into yeah. something sustainable, then you actually want to start that conversation with an attorney, in my yeah. opinion. My name is Stephanie Fauntleroy. I'm the owner of Baker's Tax and Accounting Service. Um, and you can visit me on my website at www.bakerstaxservice.com. I'm on Instagram at Baker's Tax Service, uh, Facebook at Baker's Tax Service, LinkedIn at Baker's Tax Service, pretty much all those handles except TikTok, not on TikTok. <laughs> and while you're having conversations with professionals, this is the point where you would consider business insurance. So number five on the checklist, consider business insurance. So there are three common types of insurance for small businesses. There's general liability, there's commercial property insurance, and there's business income insurance. But the two that will likely be recommended to you are probably going to be general liability insurance. And that's for uh, negligence and legal liability or professional liability. And that's the one that you've probably heard as errors and omissions insurance. And that's for if you, you know, you fail to do something. And so that omission results in some type of harm or loss to your customer. All right. So that's why it's called errors and omissions. So when you reach out to your insurance provider, they're going to ask you questions. Yes, you probably want to ask. You'll probably end up asking some questions, but for them to make a recommendation on the type of insurance you need and the amount of coverage you need, they're going to ask the questions. So just like getting your car insured, getting your home insured, the professionals are going to guide you. Let them. So since that was number five, Let's take a very quick look 
at one through five again. So number one was to conduct an audience analysis. Number two was to create your It's Me pitch deck, your pitch deck based on the same It's Me principles that we've been talking about for the past several weeks. Number three was to do some pricing and projections alongside numbers four and five, which are to meet with an accountant and to consider business insurance. And that takes us to number six. Build your network and your advisory board. You need allies. You need advocates and you need mentors. You need a circle of professionals whose brains you can pick, who will model what running a successful business looks like. And this is what I've struggled with all of my life. I didn't have enough entrepreneurs in my circles to see that this was a realistic and viable option for me. Later in life, I saw some of my uncles go on to be entrepreneurs, but I didn't see this growing up. So it's important for me now. I recognize how important it is for me to have living and breathing examples who do this successfully, how they do it, how they market their skills, their skill set, and a variety of different services. So you're going to need that. You need to see someone who's doing it the way you want it done. Someone who will support you. Someone who's going to introduce you to their network. My business coach says you want your name to be circulating in rooms that you're not in. Right? So you want someone who's going to mention your name when you're not there. So these can be individuals or they can be professional groups. But you need these people to introduce you to their in-groups. And they might point you to their next resource. So we were having the conversation uh, about, you know, accountants, about insurance providers. So people who are in business will have professionals, advisors, and resources that they can point you to. For those types of things, for these service providers, for these subject matter experts that that are going to help you with your business, you want referrals. You want success stories. This isn't a time to just be finding someone on the internet and trusting them with your, your business and your livelihood. So that network and that advisory board is clutch. So number six, build your network and advisory board. So in the guidebook, I really just have you sit still for about 15 to 30 minutes daily and think about who do I know and how can they help me? And then you're just going to make notes there. And this is especially helpful because As you think about this, who do I know? How can they help? Who do I want to get to know because they can help me in this way will help you for the next area. Number seven, actually number seven and number eight, but for number seven, for developing your website or developing your business profiles or pages. Whenever someone starts a business, the first thing they want to do is set up the website. That's what I've noticed (laughs) before anything else. They feel like they're a business. They feel like they're in business when they got a website, right? (laughs) When you've got that website, that's it. I'm on the map. (laughs) But it can also be very expensive. So as as the first thing you put your money into, that can hurt. So I try to have people look at the options, the alternatives to a website that is still going to give you the same presence and professionalism that a website would. So I recommend and I did this myself, I recommend starting with a business page on LinkedIn. And while you have that, while you start that process, 
as you begin populating your business page on LinkedIn, that will help you start conceptualizing your website. So as you plan your website, as you put aside the money for your website, you can still be putting together all of the key components, the essential information on a business page on LinkedIn. So I say make it your first stop. LinkedIn is the most respected platform for your professional brand. And again, it has that option for a business page and a custom URL. So even if you buy your domain and you point it to the business page on LinkedIn, that's still going to be a much more cost-effective solution than jumping right into the website. That can cost you thousands straight out the gate. Landing pages are also an option. But while you're in this stage, since you've already got your mind around, you know, developing this website, you can start having conversations with the web designer. You can ask questions about, you know, whether a landing page is a good option. But in the meantime, get that business page set up on LinkedIn. And the great thing about the business page on LinkedIn is that when you make yourself an employee, you then have the option of putting yourself as the employer on your LinkedIn profile. So there's your LinkedIn profile and there's your business page. So I'm going to, again, include the link to the quick launch guide in the episode notes because I I actually point that out. I, I have a graphic in the guidebook that shows my LinkedIn business page and how that populates into my LinkedIn profile. So close your eyes for a second and think about that LinkedIn profile. You see it all the time. You go to a person's profile, you scroll down to their experience, you know, to the experience section of their LinkedIn page, and you see the different entries for their work experience. Usually you get to one gray icon that doesn't have a logo in there, right? You'll have the business name the same way you have for all of your other experience entries, but it'll have this very generic gray icon instead of the business logo. And that's because that company is not, I'll say, registered as a business on LinkedIn. LinkedIn doesn't recognize it as a business. And so the way that you avoid that is you create a business page on LinkedIn. Now LinkedIn will know the business. They'll recognize the business. So when you go back in and you type in your experience, it's going to populate that business page. That logo that you've created and put in place for your business page is now going to show up in your experience section on your LinkedIn profile. I discovered that years ago. So when you go to my page and and you see a logo for Marcia Cork LLC for the change coach, that's why, because I have a business page in place. Now, full disclosure, I don't do anything with the business page anymore, unfortunately, not as much as I should. You'll go there, you'll see that it has a lot of the same information that's (laughs) on my LinkedIn profile, but that's because now I have a website. So you know how it is. Some things kind of fall by the wayside. I don't keep it up. Occasionally I'll make a post and then I'll also share it to the business page. I could do a better job at that, but hey, it's there. I did it. And I'm showing you because I want to save you thousands of dollars. 
I don't want you to have to focus on putting your money, you know, getting in the hole before you even get started. Don't worry about spending so much money on a website when you can have a business page with a custom URL and an option to even get your own domain and point it to the LinkedIn business page while you get your stuff together for the website. Which brings us to number eight, find your happy medium. And it's the perfect follow-up to the conversation we were just having about getting active on LinkedIn. Find your happy medium and start to post consistently. So with a scalable business, you're going to want to establish an online presence to extend your reach, you know, to build a following online, and also to establish your reputation and your credibility. But it's a challenge if you are not already someone who posts consistently and has an, a large and active social media presence. This is going to be hard to start now that you've start your, started your business. So I have a suggestion. It's a very unpopular opinion, but I recommend it for people who have a large following or a decent sized following on social media already because just personally, you post a lot. I recommend changing your social profile handles and usernames to your business names. And here's why. You already have a good amount of friends and family following you. If you already have hundreds, and my goodness, if you have thousands of people following you, wouldn't you rather start there than to now start new profiles for your business and have to start from scratch, have to build that up all over again? And maybe it's more of a struggle for me than it is for you, because it is definitely a struggle for me. (laughs) But it'll be hard in those early days to maintain both personal accounts and business accounts across a variety of different platforms, right? That's easily anywhere from six to 10 different social media profiles. That's a lot. And to build a following really requires posting consistently. You hear that all the time, but now that I'm doing it, it is, I I can see the difference. It really is true. I have accumulated more followers in the past month and a half than I have in more than two years of having these accounts. And that's just because of for the last month or so, I've been posting consistently. Crazy. But so when people tell you to post consistently, that's why. It's the only way to really build a following. And I would rather not have to start from scratch. But like I said, that's me. I'm making these recommendations based on my experience and how I feel I can simplify the process for you. So that's my quick launch approach. Change your social profile handles and usernames, at least on the happy medium, at least on that one platform that you're going to really establish your online presence. Do all of your posting there. At least change it there because if you already have a large following of friends and family, then at least you're not starting from scratch. People are already going to know you they're going to recognize your content. You're going to, you know, you're going to be visible. You're going to show your face, hear your voice. So they'll know it's you, but it's definitely easier, in my opinion, to do that than to start from scratch. All right. So number eight, find your happy medium, post consistently. And then I add the quick launch approach is to change your social profile handles and usernames so that you aren't starting a fresh and brand new business account. In the quick launch guide, I have a weekly posting planner included. And I suggest taking about one to three hours daily 
to plan out this content for any recording that you have to do, for any editing that you have to do. Maybe it's three times a week. Maybe it's every day. Maybe you're going to do some live events. Page 16 of the planner really helps you map that out. The weekly posting planner. Number eight rolls right into number nine, which is to create a work schedule and commit. Don't make the mistake of only working on your business when there's work to do. I posted recently on Instagram, sometimes we treat our business more like a hobby. Back to that hobby lobby that I've been talking about. And if I didn't say this clearly earlier, basically what I mean by that is we have downtime when we're starting a new business. And sometimes we use that downtime to do personal things or, you know, to watch TV and just do things that aren't a reinvestment of our time back into the business. So we always talk about reinvesting money back into the business. I think that practice and that philosophy people seem to have embraced, but you need to reinvest your time as well. Treat your business like a business and not like a hobby. So commit to business hours and nurture the business during those business hours, even when there's no client, even when there's no deliverable due, even if there's no orders coming in. If you have work hours, Do work in those work hours. Find work, create work in those work hours. Even if what that work looks like is reassessing any of the tools and apps, um, memberships and subscription services, anything that you use, research others, look into the pricing of others and compare. Just make an effective use of your time. Just put time back into the business so that it grows and nurtures the business. That's it. Create a work schedule and commit to it. So for me, what that looks like is using all of my time to plan social media content. Because like I said, I'm not great at that. Even personally, I didn't post on social media. I didn't take pictures of, you know, going out to dinner and boomerangs of us doing shots and, um, You know, pictures of my food, myself getting dressed, the before and after pictures, pictures of myself doing makeup. You know, I see all of these things. I know that that's what that's what's expected in social media. I don't do. I'm just not that person for you. Just create. Like I said, number eight, you're going to create just commit and be consistent. Okay, And that's putting time into your business. That's treating it more like a business and not like a hobby by reinvesting your time into the business. And then speaking of those reassessments, researching other products, services, memberships, subscriptions, finding what's useful, what works for you, what doesn't, that takes us right into number 10, which is to just reassess and repeat constantly. You're going to assess your processes and your progress regularly. You're going to do that weekly. You know, maybe it's monthly, maybe it's quarterly. And then you're just going to kind of self-correct along the way. The early years present the most challenges. I mean, no business is ever without challenges and hardship. But, you know, getting started when it requires so much time, there's such so much time, there's such a learning curve. Um, you know, for me, I'm learning how to uh, edit for the podcast. I am 
back and forth between different platforms to see who does the best recording. I'm doing it with, you know, just starting to wrap my mind around what's the best equipment to use to improve the sound quality. Like all of those things are what prevented me initially from even wanting to do a podcast because I was trying to make it perfect. But I've given myself some grace. It's not going to be perfect, but I'm going to do the best that I can. And I'm going to reassess along the way. I'm going to research other platforms. I'm going to research equipment. I'm going to get a little more fluid with each episode on the editing process. All those things will come with more ease over the first few months and years, I imagine. So the business is literally work in progress. I'm fine with that, and I encourage you to get comfortable with it as well. Give yourself some grace, reassess, and repeat. And while we're talking about that first year, I really want to point out that what I see in a lot of the conversations that I'm having with other entrepreneurs, they had a lot of expectations from friends and family to help their business get started or stay afloat. Buy my book. Come let me do your hair. (laughs) Um, You know, those types of things. Buy my t-shirts. Buy Come, come buy my smoothies. You know, those, those types of things. You can't rely on your friends and family. I have this saying that I use. I say, your cousin is not your customer. You know, maybe they are, but they are not what's going to keep your business thriving and what's going to keep your business afloat. So instead, I encourage people to look to friends and family for a different type of support. If they're willing. Here are some ways that friends and family can support your business because you're not going to look at them as customers, but maybe they're sponsors in some way. Maybe they're offering in-kind support in some way. So on page 20 of the quick launch guide, I offer some ways that family and friends can support the business. All right. They can offer to pay for supply. They can offer to pay for some of those, you know, yearly or monthly subscriptions I was talking about. They can offer you a physical space. You know, maybe they have a basement room. Maybe they have a corner in their own physical space. Maybe they have a facility and they can offer space to you. Maybe you all can share an office. Maybe you know someone who's in the design and build space. Maybe they can do some construction or design services for your space. Maybe they can offer some graphic design, some photography or some social media support. Maybe they can purchase some of your branding merchandise. And I don't mean as, you know, buy my T-shirt. I mean, maybe they can provide the in-kind support into bulk material purchases. Maybe they can offer the use of a vehicle. Maybe they have a kitchen space or any other type of equipment. So think about it that way. Think about in-kind support that friends and family can offer that is in support of your business to help the business take off and thrive, but not to rely on them to to be a customer. Okay, but that also goes both ways. You should not be offering your services for free. So you're not counting on on them to be a customer, but they're also not taking up valuable time or resources by you providing your goods and services at a free or discounted rate. So that's the quick launch guide, MCs, a checklist of 10 things that you can do to get this business out of your head onto paper, into a pitch deck to really have the nuts and bolts of what you need to get this business running. And I'm going to provide the link in the episode notes 
to where you can download a copy of the checklist. I think you might find it helpful. Again, just some of the things that we don't think about in the simplest form, a simple construct of the conversations you want to have and the considerations you can make to get this thing going. So to recap numbers six through 10, then number six, build your network and advisory board. Number seven, build your website or your business page. And remember, I recommend the business page while you conceptualize the full website. Number eight, find your happy medium and start posting consistently there. My quick recommendation is to change your social profiles from your personal name to the business name. Number nine, create a work schedule and commit to that. Don't treat your business like a hobby. Reinvest your downtime into the business. And number 10, reassess and repeat along the way. Check back in on your processes and your progress constantly to tweak, to look at new services, new platforms, and improve your business on a day-to-day basis. Remembering that your cousin is not your customer. There are ways that your family can support the business, but not as a customer. One of the things that I wanted to talk about was um, I, I, I have this phrase that I say, your, your cousin is not your customer. Right. So the idea behind that is, you know, people go into business and they think that their friends and family are going to be their biggest customers and their best supporters. Girl, you, use... got, you got you got the right one to, to interview today on that. <laughs> OK, <laughs> elaborate. Look, I'm not even going to say another word. I'm going to let you go ahead and jump in. <laughs> OK, the reason I, I'm so glad you said it, because I have next month I will be in business for seven years. Wow. And I can count how many times family members have put on a Miss TJ Saw shirt mm-hmm. and came to my events and supported what I did. And you say that because it's been so infrequent? And I say that because it's been infrequent okay. and not mm-hmm. at all. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it and it hurts because it's the people that don't know me. Exactly. That will step up to the plate and support what I've and done. And be your what biggest supporter. Absolutely. And they are my biggest supporter. And I don't mean that they're completely unsupportive. It's just that that's not, it. you need more than your friends and family to thrive, for your business well, they, to thrive and be successful and to grow, for you to be able to scale it. So right. your your cousin is not your customer. Your, your immediate friends and family are not going to be your customer base. You have to start, you have to go in thinking about that how you can broaden it, how you can broaden your audience, where to reach them so that you are not relying on friends and family. So what I say in my checklist, what I say in the quick launch guide is that there are ways that family can support you and you'll probably be more successful in this way because then you'll have very specific things that you are delegating to friends and family and they can help in that way. So if they have a kitchen. I am Angela. Mosley, CEO and founder of Miss TJ Sauce LLC. Our website is www.mstjsauce.com. On Instagram, it's at MS Miss TJ Sauce with two S's, but it's MSTJSSAUCE. You can find me on Twitter, you can find me on TikTok. 
you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it, I'm there. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this episode of Ooh, Those Epping C Words. Special thanks to Angela Mosley, Miss TJ Sauce, and Stephanie Fontleroy from Baker's Tax Service. I really enjoyed their commentary. I think it really helped round out the conversation, right? Everybody have a great weekend and I will see you next week, MCs. Bye-bye.